You're listening to another message from Generation City Church. Well, this morning, if you want to turn with me in your Bible to Matthew 17. Matthew 17, I'm not going to start reading just yet, but Matthew's Gospel, the 17th chapter. Reading for verse 1, it says, After six days, Jesus took with him Peter, James, and John, the brother of James. Actually, before I go any further, before I go any further, I have, I have forgotten one thing. Um, I, I just want to pray for, for someone this morning. We're, I've been um, informed this morning that um, family in our church, one of their sons has been deployed to Iraq. And we are so grateful and so thankful for our armed services and our armed forces who, who um, protect us and provide the freedoms that we, we, that we experience today. So let's just take a moment. I want to pray. Father, I thank you so much for this young man. Thank you so much, God, for this young man. God, we pray right now that as he heads to the Middle East and as he's over in that very dangerous part of the world, Father, that you would guard him, you would protect him, and you would keep him safe. We entrust him to you this morning. Father, we pray that you would guard him, you would protect him, Father, in these coming days, weeks, and months. Father, we just pray that you would put a hedge of protection around him, around all of our armed forces who are there fighting for freedom. In Jesus' name, amen, amen, amen. Matthew 17, verse 1, After six days, Jesus took with him Peter, James, and John, the brother of James, and led them up a high mountain by themselves. There he was transfigured before him. His face shone like the sun, and his clothes became as white as the light. Just then there appeared before them Moses and Elijah talking with Jesus. Peter said to Jesus, Lord, it, it is good. It is good for us to be here. If you wish, I will put up three shelters, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. While he was still speaking, a bright cloud covered them, and a voice from the cloud said, This is my son, whom I love. With him I am well pleased. Listen to him. When the disciples heard this, they fell face down to the ground, terrified, think I would have been too. But Jesus came and touched them. Get up, he said. Don't be afraid. When they looked up, they saw no one except Jesus. Verse 8. It's too good to not read again. When they looked up, they saw no one except Jesus. Father, I thank you this morning for the few moments that we have together to open your word to dive into it and to, for you to speak to us. Father, this morning in this time we pray like Paul prayed for the Ephesians where he said that the spirit of wisdom and revelation would be upon you that you would know him more. Father, let that same spirit rest in this place that we would know you more. God, that we wouldn't increase in head knowledge. We wouldn't increase in information because information puffs up. But Father, we would increase in our revelation, our understanding of who you are 
Father, I pray this morning we wouldn't just be hearers of the word, but we would be people who would let the word go deep within our hearts. God, let the rubbish and the ramble that comes out of my mouth fall to the ground, but what you want to say, let it be said this morning, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, I know for, for many, for many, Christmas is um, an amazingly special time. And for me, I, um, for me and, and, my, and my family, we have, have three, little, um, three little children. And um, it, there's never a dull moment um, at all, ever. It's always full on, ready to go, um, all the time. <laughs> it, it, it is hectic. But Christmas is just one of those times where kids just get so excited. Sienna's in year one at school, and, uh, and she has written all of her Christmas cards before December. She's got a pile so high that she wants to give to all of her friends. Dad, you've got to go, and your mum or whoever, you've got to go and get candy canes because I want to give candy canes to all my friends. They've got to go with the Christmas cards. We put our Christmas tree up on Thursday night, and there is real excitement in our house about Christmas. I, I love having conversations with my kids, trying to see um, what, they, what they would say in a moment. I said to Ethan when we were out having a walk yesterday, I said, hey, buddy, tomorrow dad gets to talk to people about Jesus at church. I said, if you were preaching tomorrow, what would you say about Jesus? And um, I was like, cool. And he goes, dad, Jesus, he, he's strong and courageous. He's strong and courageous. I'm like, yeah, awesome. That's, that's a really good thing that came out of his mouth. It's like sometimes it's just like, Ethan said to me the other day, he said, Dad, you know how Jesus lives in people's heart? Said, yeah, yeah, yep, great. We're starting to get this. Jesus lives in people's heart. He goes, you know, when someone's sick, when Jesus is living in their heart, he jumps out so that the people can be sick and they can vomit. And then he jumps back in because Jesus doesn't want to get vomit on himself. <laughs> And um, it's like, hey, yeah, that, that's, yeah, I, I can work that out in my mind. I don't think Jesus wants to vomit on himself either. But it's like, no, nah, hang on a second, buddy. Hang on. Hey, that's, that's great thinking. Great thinking. But, um, but mate, Jesus, Jesus isn't a, a God or, or a friend or a savior that, that jumps out when things are going bad. So he can jump back in when things are going good. Um, he, but it's just like amazing how kids' brains click over. In the car another day having a conversation, and Sienna's like, Dad, when's Jesus coming back? I'm like, Well, it, we don't know. We actually don't know when Jesus is coming back. Even, even Jesus himself, quoting the Bible to my like, oh, got this down, Pat. Jesus, Jesus doesn't even know when he's coming back. God the Father knows, but Jesus doesn't know. Ethan's in the back and he goes, is Jesus coming back? And I'm like, Yep, buddy, he sure is. Making some real good strides with one child, and we just got to keep working on another. And um, it's like, yeah, but he is. When? I'm like, well, Jesus doesn't know when he's coming back, but God the Father does. And um, and and he goes, oh, okay. And then he pops in, he goes, oh, Dad, Dad, he's um, Jesus, he's already coming back. And I'm like, oh, okay. So how do you figure? He's already coming back, Dad. He's just walking real, real slow. It's like, but he's coming back. He's just walking real slow. And it's like just those moments where it's like some of the cutest things just come out of kids' mouths. And it's like, as we're preparing for Christmas, it's like, hey, guys, what's, what's Christmas all about? 
presents. <laughs> I'm like, nope. What else is Christmas about? Family. Yeah, okay, yeah, that's really good. It's about presents. It's about family. Okay, but, but what else? Well, it's better, Dad, to give a present than to get one. And I'm like, well, okay, we're starting to make some really good strides here. And, um, and I said, but, but what about Jesus? Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Christmas is about, it's about Jesus. Yeah, yeah. Christmas is about Jesus. I'm like, oh, that's really good. So we're at this place where I said, okay, guys, Jesus, try and work this all together. Jesus is the best present that God ever gave us. To tie in this knowledge of presence and Jesus together. It's like, yeah, Je-. and they're like, yeah, Jesus is the best present that God ever gave us. But I don't think my kids, or your kids for that matter, I know those Graham kids, whew, far out. <laughs> Um, I know my kids aren't the only ones that can get distracted by some of the stuff that happens around Christmas. I know I can get distracted by all the stuff that happens around Christmas. I can get distracted by, like in my role here, I can can get distracted around planning an event and sometimes even be guilty of Oh, Jesus, this is all about you and this is all for you, but I haven't even thought about you. But there are so many things like making sure that there's gifts that we've bought and that we've, we've made sure that we've covered everyone and you don't get to Christmas Day and go, oh my goodness, I forgot about that auntie. Um, it's just, there's so many things. There's the bright lights. The lights over at Waratah, they turned on somewhere in early November. I can't remember when Christmas things started appearing in shops, but surely it was about the end of the financial year or something. Somewhere around there. I was sent down the street yesterday to, to, uh, to get something quickly from the shops. And it's like, I didn't even get into Westfield and it was manic. It's like, there are so many things that can vie for our attention and can vie for our focus. And I think so many times I'm guilty of... Oh, another Christmas just rolled past. (laughs) Another Christmas just rolled past. But I haven't stopped to consider Jesus in the middle of it. I haven't stopped. It's not that we just, at at Christmas is when we think about Jesus. Hey, we need to be thinking about Jesus all the time. But I wonder, I wonder whether we become so familiar, so familiar with the story of Christmas, so familiar with, with this event that happens at the end of every year, that we lose our sense of awe and wonder at what has actually taken place. That we become so familiar. And I, I personally feel that one of, one of the enemy's ploys is for us to become so familiar. That we lose our sense of awe and we lose our sense of wonder. And we can go through emotions. We can go through all the things that we've got to do and tick all the boxes, but we think that our focus is Jesus when in actual fact it's not. We've just become so familiar with it. I just think about this story of the transfiguration in Matthew 17 that we've just read. Story starts where Peter and James and John are being led by Jesus up a high mountain. Now, I don't reckon that was 
some little mountain. I think it was just a mountain. They would have just said mountain, but it was a high mountain. So there's this journey that's got to be taken to get to the top of this mountain. All of a sudden, when they get there, these bright lights, it's like Jesus is transfigured before them. And it's like one of those moments where I bet they're probably just standing there going, oh my goodness. But then Moses and Elijah appear. And it's like, if this moment couldn't get any stranger, there's Moses and there's Elijah. Peter's thinking, let's get busy. Let's get busy and make some shelters. Let's, let's build a hut for each one of these people to stay. And it's good that we are here. But he hasn't even finished getting the sentence off his tongue when, when this cloud appears and this voice booms from the cloud. This is my son, whom I love. Listen to him. This could be just so overwhelming to the senses. Naturally, they fall to the ground terrified. But when they look up, all that remained in that moment was Jesus. Was Jesus. And I think how fitting for our first Sunday in December. It's not Christmas Day today. It's not Christmas Day. But how fitting that our first Sunday in December, I really feel like the word that God's put in my heart is for us to take another look at Jesus. Let's take another look at Jesus. The one that this is all about, to take another look at Jesus. But who, who is Jesus? Colossians 1.15 it says that the Son, Jesus, is the, the image of the invisible God. The writer of Hebrews in Hebrews 1 tells us that the Son is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being. And in John's gospel, Jesus says that anyone who has seen him, anyone who has seen Jesus, has seen the Father. That if we want to get a clear picture, maybe you're here this morning and you're thinking, who is this God character? And maybe, maybe, maybe I, I kind of know who Jesus is. I've kind of heard about him, but who on earth is he? Who on earth is this Jesus character? And I think the way that Paul puts it in Colossians 1 when he says that Jesus is the image of the invisible God. He's the exact image, the radiance of of, of the Father. That when we see Jesus, we see God. When we see how Jesus interacts with people through the, the, um, through the Gospels, we, we see how God would interact with his people. We see how God would be. When I think about that, that story in John 8, another time where all that remained was Jesus was when this woman who was caught in adultery was brought before him. It's like, hey, Jesus, the, um, the law say that we should stone this woman. What, what do you say? As the story goes, like, well, okay, now that's, that's what the law says, but go ahead and do it. But just one other thing, guys, like if any of you is without sin, you, you throw the first rock. And as the story goes, the, the crowd dissipates and all that is remaining with this woman caught in adultery is Jesus. 
All that's remaining is Jesus. Jesus looks at her and says, where are all these people who are condemning you? Well, they're, they're not here. Neither do I condemn you. The only person left was Jesus. And I think that that's, I think that's a word for some of us to take away this morning. That we're so crippled and riddled with this guilt and this shame and this sense of unworthiness, this sense that how could God ever love me? But I want you to know this morning that Jesus is standing right with you. He's standing right in front of you. And all those voices that are swirling around in your head, Jesus is looking at you with his eyes filled with love, the exact image of the invisible God. He's saying, I don't condemn you. I don't push you away. I love you. When we look at Jesus, we see the Father. We see the Father. 2 Corinthians 5 says that in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself. And that well-known verse in John 3, 16, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Sometimes we stop there, but the Bible doesn't stop there. The, the, The account of that story keeps going. God didn't send his son into the world to condemn the world. If he wanted to condemn the world, he would have sent a condemner. But he wanted to save the world, so he sent a savior. But in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself. This Christmas, as you're walking through the... The shopping centers as you're at home and maybe it's just you laying in your bed at night and you're looking at the ceiling and you've got all these voices swirling around and all this stuff, these things that are are, are telling you that you're not worthy. You're not loved by God. I want you to know that you are. You are so valued. You are so loved by him in such a way that you could never, ever earn. But it's lavished upon us because of Jesus. God the Father is infatuated with you. He's infatuated with you. He loves us with a love that will never, ever end. And Jesus says in John 14 that anyone who has seen him, anyone who has seen Jesus has seen the Father. But there's one aspect of who Jesus is that I just love. I get so excited about, and if you quickly come with me to Matthew, Matthew chapter 1, we're going to have a, um, a quick read from verse 18. It says, this is how the birth of Jesus, the Messiah, came about. He, his mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace... He had in mind to divorce her quietly, but after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus. Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. Verse 22, all this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet, Isaiah chapter 7 
The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and they will call him Emmanuel. Emmanuel, which means God with us. And when I think about Jesus and I think about him being born and him living his life, walking on the face of the earth and then dying for our sins and being victoriously raised from the dead. For me, I think about Emmanuel. I think about God with us. That the word became flesh and made its dwelling among us. That God was so invested in the process that all of his godness, his, his, his deity was put in flesh form. That God wasn't standing back going, okay, well, my creation's made a blunder, so start building your tower, guys. Try and work out a way to get back to me. But that's not what God wanted. That's not what God had in mind. God had in mind to become Emmanuel, God with us. The God who was with us in the moments of victory and the God who was with us in the moments of defeat. The God who doesn't just live on our inside when we're feeling well and jumps out when we're about to vomit. But he is the God who is the God of the valley. He's the God of the trial. He's the God of the, of the, the valley. But he's also the God of the mountaintop. He's our ever-present help in times of trouble. He is almighty God, Elohim, maker of the earth. His name, Jesus meaning God saves, speaks to what he does, but his messianic title, Emmanuel, speaks to who he is. God with us. That's who he is. If you come across to me this morning in, to Luke, Luke chapter 15, it's a very well-known passage of scripture Jesus is talking to a bunch of people and um, in that in that crowd there's Luke has identified that there's sinners and there's tax collectors so if you work for the ATO Luke's talking about you um, this morning no that is not true um, sinners and tax collectors but it's also identified that there's, there's Pharisees and there's teachers of the law. So Luke has identified that this is the, the audience that in this moment in, in time, Jesus is talking to. And then Jesus proceeds to tell three stories. He tells the story about the lost sheep and how the guy left the 99 to go searching for the one. He found the one and threw a party and was so happy. It then goes on and the next story just rolls back to back into the next one. Jesus tells a story about a widow who had lost a coin. She had 10 silver coins and she lost one. And um, she doesn't just write it off as, oh, well, that's, that's gone. I've still got nine. Um, but it says that she lights a lamp and she sweeps the house and she searches until she finds that coin. And 
So much so was the happiness in this moment that she too threw a party. It must have just been one of those party moments where everyone's having a party. But in these stories, these parables, because a parable is just a story that Jesus told to help us understand. It then rolls into the third story, which most of us would know, the parable of the lost son. The story about the lost son where it says a father had two sons. And he had two sons and the youngest son came to him and said, Dad, can you just, can you give me my inheritance? Can you give me my half of, of or my portion of, of your wealth? And where the father divided up this, uh, his, his wealth and gave it to the son. It says that he, he headed off. And anyway, the story goes, he squandered it all in wild living and Eventually, when all the funds had run dry, he found himself in a pig's pen. When he came to his senses, he thought, you know what, I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm going to head home. My, my father's servants have got, have got it better than I've got. And he heads home and the father runs out to greet him, sees him far off and runs out to greet him. Throws a party. But as the party's happening, the, the elder brother, the older brother comes into the picture and he's like, he can hear party, he can hear noise. He's like, what's going on? And he was so indignant of, of what was happening for the younger brother. He's like, I've always been here. Uh, I've, I've never gone and done the wrong thing and you've never killed a calf for me. And Jesus says, but hey, we're rejoicing because my son who was lost has now been found. An interesting take on this, this chapter of Scripture is that in each of these three instances, something is lost. There's a sheep, there's a coin, there's a, a son. And in all three stories, the one who has lost something gets it back again. But you see, there is a striking difference between the first two parables, parable one and two, and and the third. As Jesus is telling it, he, he's setting up this story because in parable one and parable two, something is lost and then someone goes looking for what is lost and doesn't relent until the coin and the sheep is found. But when we get to story number three about the son, it's like Jesus is setting up this scene because no one goes searching for the son. No one goes searching for him. Jesus was trying to create this moment where it's like, well, who should have gone looking for the son? Who should have gone looking for the younger son? Who had gone off and wasted his life, wasted the inheritance? Who should have gone looking for him? There were stories told about a, a U.S. soldier in Vietnam who, through a series of events, went missing in action. The family followed all the right channels to try and find out his whereabouts, but in the end, the older son in the family got on a plane and went to Vietnam risking his life in such dangerous situations. He searched the battlefields, he searched the jungles 
looking for his brother. He wasn't injured, didn't get hurt. He was very respected by both sides in the conflict. And they, they gave him the name, the, the brother. But this is what the older brother in the story of the lost son should have done. The older brother should have been the one to say to the father, you know, dad, my younger brother is being an absolute twit. He's been a fool. He has just, I don't know what he was thinking, but he's gone. But you know what? I'm going to go and find him. I'm going to go and find him. I'm going to go and get him and bring him back. You see, when we re- read this story, we, we think, well, the, the son, when he was embraced by the father and he was brought back in, that, that he was brought back in freely, back into the family. But you see, back in those days, for, for the younger son to be restored back into the family, it, it had to be at a cost. You know, so often we can think, oh, that was free. I got that for free. Nothing is ever free. Nothing. It has always been at the cost of someone else. I was at the 7-Eleven the other night and the owner says to me, hey, you want a donut? Yeah, my wife loves donuts. I'll take one home for her. Crispy creams. It's like, yeah, cool. Again, the car is like, hey, free donut. But that donut was not free. The owner of that store bore the cost of that donut and he gave it to me for free. Nothing is free. Nothing is free. And for this son, this wayward son, this younger son to be restored into this family had to come at a cost. Had to come at a cost. You see, for him to be restored had to be at the expense of the older brother. When the estate was split... The younger brother was given his third and the remaining two thirds belonged to the older brother. So when the father says to the older son, all I have is yours, everything, everything that I still have is yours. For the younger brother to be restored had to be at the expense of the older brother. But in this story, that's not what the older brother does. The older brother doesn't go looking for the younger son. He doesn't freely open his arms and welcome him back. The younger brother didn't have the benefit of a true older brother. But you see, we do. We do. You see... We, we don't need someone to go off to a far distant country to find us again and bring us home. But we needed an older brother who would come from heaven to earth to find us and to bring us home. You see, mercy and forgiveness, they are free to the receiver. Otherwise, it's not mercy. But you see that mercy and forgiveness is at someone else's cost. 
and for us to be restored and to be brought back into the family of God like we have been when we received Jesus, it's free for us. It's free. But it was at such a high price that Jesus paid as our true older brother. He's the one that paid the price. The point of the parable is that forgiveness always involves a price. Someone has to pay. And our true older brother paid our debt on the cross in our place. He was stripped naked of his robe and dignity so we could be clothed with a dignity and a standing that we don't deserve. And we need to be moved afresh by what it costs to bring us home. That this older brother, the foretold Emmanuel, came to earth. God with us as a true older brother to bring us, the wayward younger brother and sister, home. And at Christmas this year, let's look again at Jesus. Let's look again at the price that he paid. But you see, the story of Jesus, if the team want to come back this morning, the story of Jesus, the story of Jesus doesn't start at the Gospels. The story of Jesus doesn't start in Matthew or Mark, Luke or John. But the story of Jesus began before time itself. John 1 is a very interesting chapter to read, but when you read it through the lens of Jesus, it's incredible. In the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, the Word was God, the Word being Christ. The Word became flesh and made its dwelling among us. He came to his own, his own didn't receive him, but to all who did receive him, he gave the right to become children of God. The whole Bible speaks to the story of God. God didn't create the heavens and the earth and create what was going on in the garden. And all of a sudden, Adam and Eve mucked it up and Jesus was left scratching his head. God was left scratching his head. Like, oh my goodness, what are we going to do now? But before all that happened, God knew it would happen. Then God had already set in place a plan. A plan that would create a way for mankind to come back to him. You know, when we read about the transfiguration in Matthew 17, I don't think God was up in heaven saying, hey, fellas, watch this. Here comes Moses and Elijah. Because God doesn't just do things for no reason. But you see, Moses and Elijah were there very intentionally and very purposefully. Two characters who were very, very revered in Jewish history. Moses spoke about the law. He represented the law. The law that had to be put in place so that there was some sort of regulation. 
a law that was ultimately put in place to show that we could never get back to God by ourselves. And the prophets, Elijah represents the prophets. It spoke about this coming Messiah. But you see in this moment, when the cloud dissipates and all that is left is Jesus, it's because Jesus is a fulfillment of the law and he's fulfillment of the prophets. And through him, through our true older brother, we can be made right with God again. At Christmas, we remember the part in the story, this age-old story, this story that just transcends time, understanding. We remember the moment, the moment in time when Jesus was born. The fulfillment of Emmanuel, God with us. And like the woman caught in adultery, he's standing before us this morning with love in his eyes, saying that he doesn't condemn, he doesn't push us away. He doesn't go, okay, this is the 27th time you've been back this week. Um, Sorry, you're out of credit. Come back next month. He doesn't do that. But he bore the cost himself that we could be made right with God and have right relationship with God the Father and have that relationship restored. Let's look at Jesus again this year. Let's look at him again. I'm praying for each one of us that we would get a fresh revelation, a fresh understanding of who he is and what he's done.